1: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. It's new episode time. Welcome back to my podcast, Luke's English Podcast. I'm Luke. This is my podcast. Welcome. Here's a new episode. And this one is all about language learning. Uh, it's, a, it's sort of, I thought that it would be time to do Another language learning focused episode. Apparently, it's a sort of an ongoing mystery, the whole subject of language learning and exactly how to do it, the best way to do it. Different people have got different approaches. Um, And uh, it's always an interesting subject to talk about. Um, I think this episode is going to be called the best way to learn a language according to research. Okay, so you get an idea of what's going to be included. The best way to learn a language, I mean, I'll, prob- I'll say right at the beginning, I think the best way to learn a language is uh, the, the way that works for you as an individual. And it's a question of trying different things, stepping out of your comfort zone until you've experienced a variety of different, of different ways to uh, learn a language or improve the language that you're uh, trying to uh, get to grips with, Tr- you know, try all the different ways and sort of uh, analyse the effects of trying those ways and the way that they make you feel. And then when you found something that kind of works for you, uh, you stick with it and you keep doing it. And when I say the thing that works for you, what I really mean is the thing that uh, you enjoy doing. Because I've said lots of times in the past that learning a language is really about time and practice. It's a question of putting in As you know, as much as practice as possible over uh, you know a long period of time. Now, maybe the right kind of practice. You know, you've got to sort of work out what type of practice works best for you. But then, ultimately, when you've got that, it's just a question of spending time working with the language and uh, finding a way that's enjoyable that you actually are happy to do. Will make a huge difference because then you're probably much more likely to actually do it. Um, so that's my, that's an initial thought that I've got right at the beginning, just based on the title of the episode. But anyway, to explain more, uh, what I'm going to do in this episode is read through an article. This is an article I found on the website Medium.com. This is a site that I sort of browse sometimes, just looking for interesting things to read. And also um, Medium sends me emails as well. It kind of sends me suggestions of articles it thinks I might like. It sends me by email. And you can get these things too. It's Medium is a good website for just sort of reading articles that are not too long, things that are quite interesting, lots of um, articles with tips and advice about different aspects of life, about motivation, about uh, mental health, about uh, physical health, language learning and, and self-development of, of various kinds. It's quite good for... Uh, little interesting articles into your inbox. So if you're looking for things to read, you could go to Medium.com, sign up free, and you know, sort of select the sorts of articles that you're interested in, and it will send them to you. Um, I understand as well that Medium.com is a is a is a website that um, you can kind of uh, send articles to. So it's a sort of uh, a fairly open website that lots of. Um, uh, writers can post their articles onto. Um, so I was I was looking at medium.com, and I was searching for articles about language learning, and then I, I found this one, and it's all about the best way to learn a language. But uh, specifically, it's about looking at all the research that's been done into this subject and collecting it all together into one article. Now, this episode, I would say, probably follows on from the episode I did with Steve Kaufman a while ago, Um, that's where we looked specifically at Steve and his approach to learning a language. And as you know, Steve talked about how he likes to, um, use the sort of, um, um, the, um, he likes to use the comprehensible input model, um, outlined by Stephen Krashen, which involves reading like a lot of material, a material that you find compelling that you're interested in in reading, and that you start by that, you start by consuming as much language as possible, probably in the form of um, texts of varying difficulty levels. Um, and then once you've once you've kind of done that and you've got a sense, an overall sense of what the language is like, then you start to actually use it. And there's not much kind of focused study where he studies the language from the bottom up, looking at the grammar of it and all that sort of thing. Um, I think this episode will probably relate also to the episode I did about what it really means to be good at English and in that one I kind of explored ideas of what um, fluency really means and the the, the different aspects of English uh, ability that there are and different ways of assessing someone's English. And also the uh, conversation I had with Hadar Shemesh and her experiences of improving her English. And also, you know, the many other episodes I've done in the past about um, similar things. Um, So going back to Steve Kaufman, he learns languages successfully, and he seems to do it by doing tremendous amounts of listening and reading. Now, one thing that we always think when, you know, the one thing that people always think when they... Um hear about the, the case of Steve Kaufman is they people think, is it is he exceptional or or do you think that anyone could do what he does? Do, could his method work for everyone? Or does it just work for him in some way? You know, this is the thing. This is the, I guess this is the thing that keeps people talking about language learning and keeps people sort of disagreeing about it and discussing things about it, is that probably. There are different methods that work for different people, but maybe there are certain universal things that we have to put in place so that we know we are learning a language in the right way or perhaps in the most efficient way. It's just a good idea to take a step back and look at the whole process of learning a language and try to make sure that we're doing it in the in the optimal uh, way, okay? So let's see what some research Academic research has said about learning a language, and let's see what conclusions we can draw from this and generally what this tells us about uh, language learning. And you know, maybe this can help you position yourself, help give you some perspective into your own language learning process, and hopefully, you'll just find it interesting to listen to as well. So, uh, the best way to learn a language according to Research. Now, you can research. This is a noun. The noun can be pronounced research or research. There's two ways to pronounce the noun. The verb is always pronounced research to research something. Um, so, the best way to learn a language according to research or according to research. This is from medium.com, written by Gavin Lamb, who has a master's degree and a PhD in applied linguistics from the University of Hawaii. So, he should know what he's talking about. And this is a consolidation of research conclusions about the best way to learn another language. Consolidation, that means basically taking these uh, separate things and bringing them together, okay? And sort of breaking them down to their summaries, kind of um, bringing all these disparate things together into one um, article in this case. So what can all this research tell us about how to learn English? So I'm going to read the article and also give my comments about learning English. I hope you find it instructive. Um, You'll find the link to the article on the page for this episode on my website. That's basically, you know, that's what you'll find and that's what I'm reading from. So if you want to kind of read along with me, then feel free. Okay, so uh, Gavin Lamb's article is actually called The Trifecta of English effective language learning. So, he's referring to actually three key points for effective language learning. So, the trifecta of effective language learning. Learning another language isn't just about the acquisition of a new skill. So, apparently, there's there's more to it than that. So, Gavin starts with some questions. First, some questions. What are the differences between first and second language learning? Why do some people seem to have a knack for learning languages while others struggle or even resign themselves from the task entirely? How does age matter in learning another language? How do our own unique individual differences, like learning styles, affect our ability to learn a new language? What role does conscious attention play in language learning? Can we just soak up the language like a sponge if we immerse ourselves in the language? Or do we have to pay attention to the details in order to learn? How does your first language influence how you learn a second language? And what are the most effective language learning strategies in becoming a successful language learner? Now, I would like to discuss those questions. These are really good discussion questions. Um, So, I think that I'll discuss them and just sort of give some of my thoughts and conclusions as I close the window here in my room. So, the differences between first and second language learning. So, we learn our first languages as children, okay? And... um, You know, so, you know, we're all familiar with that process that, you know, we come out of the, the, we're born, and uh, first we start making one-syllable noises, ma-ma-ma, da-da-da, pa-pa-pa-pa, you know, those sorts of things, and eventually these start to form... Uh, multi-syllable words, and then multi-word phrases, and then sentences, and then before you know it, we're just babbling away, talking and talking. You know, uh, as parents, we encourage our children to start talking, and then when the children do get the knack for it, they we can't stop them. You know, and they'll just go on and on and on, uh, which is a wonderful thing to observe. So, learning a first language—I mean, it's—it's it's, to talk about it very b- basically. Um, yeah, it's, a lot of it's about trial and error, right? As children, we try to express ourselves and we get it wrong a lot. Like, um, there's a, a lot of errors. Like, kids make tons of mistakes. Like, for example, my daughter, she will... Uh, These days, she's five, and her language is a a lot more um, complex than it was before. But um, she makes mistakes like, for example, with um, irregular verbs. So she obviously, uh, while learning how to conjugate verbs in English, she learns the the ED ending rule, because most verbs end with ED, as you well know. Uh, Start, started, wait, waited, and so on. Play, played and um and so, what happens is she's developed that rule, and then she just applies that to all verbs, so she says, "Goad, I goad to the shops instead of saying, "I went to the shops, so she makes all these mistakes, those mistakes get corrected uh by her parents by me and and my wife, but also she just as she hears the language more and more and starts reading it, she starts to notice what you know the correct forms are, and so she self corrects. You know, but it's a long process. Um, It takes years, really, before she can get to a sort of fluent and accurate level. Um, Right, so, I mean, I I could talk more in much more detail about about learning a first language. But, you know, you're familiar with the process. When it comes to learning a second language, I guess the difference is that often this is done in adulthood. Most of us learn second languages in adulthood, or at least in sort of late childhood. We might start studying a language at school. And it's interesting that often uh, learning the second language, it's done in a more formalized way. I mean, you know, the environment in which we learn uh, language two uh, might be done in a school environment. So we are taught, we are actively taught the, the second language often that's our first experience is that we have a teacher we have a course book we have lessons and we we, we, are, we go through a rigid structured um, uh, program of lessons so we are taught the language it's done in an academic framework and also often it's an it's an active endeavor it's something that we actually have to actively try to achieve so like today I'm going to learn English so we we do some english learning and then it stops Compared to L1, lang- learning language one, where learning the language is not the thing that we are trying to do, but we are just l- learning just to communicate and just to achieve things. And language learning sort of happens as a necessary consequence or as a necessary... We have a need to master the language in order to essentially operate as human beings and get the things we want. Whereas second language learning seems to be more of a considered... um uh, thing that we you know we 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 actually try to learn the language. I could talk more about it, but there are some differences. Uh, next question. Why do some people seem to have a knack for learning languages? If you have a knack for something, it just means you have a sort of what seems to be like a, an inbuilt uh, skill or a talent for it. Like you might say that Steve Kaufman has a knack for learning languages, that he just like reads, apparently just reads loads of books and then suddenly ping, he's got it. Or you see these other polyglots on the internet who are just excellent at it. Or you every now and then, you you know, uh, you, you meet someone who has learned English as a second language as an adult. And they've just got this accent. They've got like a really natural sounding accent. They, In fact, they could even be from England or the United States or Australia or something. But no, they're from some other country where the, the language is not actually spoken. So, you know, uh, why, why is it that some people just seem to be good at it while other people struggle? Other people even resign themselves from the task entirely. They just completely give up. And uh, so why is that? I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe some people do have sort of innate talents for language learning. Maybe that relates to growing up in a multilingual environment or maybe even relates to uh, genetics. Maybe some people, um, maybe if ancestors have been, maybe if like over years and years and years, your ancestors were exposed to multilingual environments, maybe they just developed a sort of almost... Maybe they developed the ability and somehow passed it down. I don't really know. Uh, But so maybe some people have got an innate skill, whereas um, maybe just some people have the right level of motivation, like someone like Steve Kaufman. Okay, we could say that, uh, you know, when you look at his history, his personal history, you learn that he was actually born in Sweden. His parents were from, I think, the Czech Republic. And then he moved to the United States. Uh no, then he moved to Canada when he was 5 years old, I think, to Montreal, which we know is a bilingual city. So actually, when you examine his life story, you start to see that in the very beginning there is there there seems to be some level of multilingualism around him. Um so um what was I what what's the point I'm trying to make? So or, or, but OK, so you can say that, but also m- maybe it's just Steve's general approach to learning languages that allows him to do it. The, the positive approach that he has, he, he has a really sort of no stress approach to it. He doesn't rush into the task. He doesn't expect great results too soon. It's very leisurely and it's all an enjoyable adventure for him. Whereas other people are desperate to learn a language as a sort of commodity. They think, I need, language, I need English in order to get money or to get a job to get money or whatever it is, to get status or work or something like that. And so the language is just like this thing that they have to do and they want to be able to cram study that language and sort of find the most efficient and effective way to learn it so they then they don't have to learn it anymore so they can just move on to the next thing. And maybe that's the wrong approach. Maybe you need a more relaxed approach, a more, um, uh, you know, lower your expectations, find ways to just enjoy it and just, you know, enjoy the ride rather than trying desperately to get to the destination all the time. So maybe Steve is successful simply because of his method and his attitude rather than some genetic predisposition or maybe some early um, uh, childhood imprint that left him with the ability to do it. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure, really. I'm not sure. Um, how does age matter in learning another language? Well, the common common sense or the most common uh, attitude for this is that the earlier you start, the better, which is probably true. It's probably true. The earlier you get exposure to a language, the, the better it is for you. But then again, older people often have more life experience. They have more wisdom. They have more knowledge. They have more things to say. They have more, um, yeah, they have more perspective, which is very useful when learning a language because, um, you know, y- you can use all the knowledge that you've got of the world and apply that to the task of learning a language. And, and that, can be, that can be very helpful. You know, that can really help you to do it well. And again, Steve Kaufman is an example. He's in his 70s, I think. And there he is, you know, spending his time working on the language. Um, So, um, I I don't know. (laughs) Again, I'm not sure of the answer. This is the thing. This is why this is a a continual debate. Because, uh, you know, it seems to be a very stretchy subject. Um. How do our own individual, how do our own unique individual differences, like learning styles, affect our ability to learn a new language? The idea of learning styles suggests that we all tend to learn in different ways. Now, this is contested. Now, most of this stuff is contested, meaning people disagree with it. But the idea, the the, the idea of there being learning styles, is a little bit sort of um, sketchy. Like people don't, a lot of people disagree with the whole concept. And in fact, I read recently that the, the entire idea has been debunked, like proven to be false. Uh, but the, I remember studying this stuff during my Delta, the idea being that there are these are things that we need to consider uh, as teachers when teaching our students to learn English, that they need to know that there are different learning styles and learning what your style of learning is or your intelligence type is that can really help you to choose the right kind of learning for you. So it may be still interesting to consider the idea that maybe people learn in different ways and there isn't just one single way to learn a language. It's not just like, um, you know, you study the grammar rules and you do, you know, this kind of old fashioned approach. There might be other approaches and you have to keep searching until you find the one that's right for you. But in terms of learning styles, we talk about things like visual learners, people who prefer to, you know, who who react well to visual stimulus. We talk about uh, kinesthetic learners, people who like to move and have some sort of physical movement involved in their learning. And then there's like the auditory learners and the musical learners and all these different learning styles. As teachers, we are taught about this stuff because... It, it can encourage us to incorporate different types of tasks into le- tasks into lessons, tasks that involve the students maybe getting out of their seats and moving around, um, you know, tasks involving more visual aspects, you know, not so it's not just text on a page, sitting down in front of text on a page or on a on a blackboard or whiteboard or something, but other things too. Um, so the point there is that it might be worth remembering that maybe you will learn English more effectively in this way, whereas your friend or some guy on the internet will learn their English more effectively in other ways. And it's worth exploring these different approaches. And you've got to keep an open mind to learning in different ways. Um, Next question, what role does conscious attention play in language learning? Can we just soak up the language like a sponge if we immerse ourselves in the language, or do we have to pay attention to the details in order to learn? So, two schools of thought. One one idea is that you will just absorb language naturally. You are a sponge, and your brain will just soak up language if you expose it to the language. And um, so maybe comprehensible input is an example of this, the input hypothesis that, you know, you just read lots and lots and lots of material, listen to lots and lots of material. And there's some sort of natural process where your brain just sort of absorbs or acquires it Um, or immerse yourself. Go and live in the country where the language is spoken and it will be around you all the time, 24 hours a day. You'll be hearing it, seeing it, being forced to use it all the time. And so, naturally, we will accommodate ourselves to that environment, and that means essentially acquiring the language that we need in order to operate within it. And those things seem to be somehow subconscious or unconscious learning, like it's just learning as a consequence of trying to understand the book that you're reading or trying to survive in the city that you're living in or something. Or do we need to be more attentive and conscious in our learning? meaning do we need to sit down and actually look through the grammar rules or when we're reading consciously check words and keep vocabulary lists and flashcards and you know have these methods that we can use to focus our attention on learning going back to that other question of uh, learning a first language and learning a second language maybe the 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 immersion idea is similar to how we learn a first language and then the Conscious attention is like the way we traditionally learn a second language. But then again, those things don't necessarily... It's not as simple as that. Because if you you think about it, when you learn your first language, like when I learned English, I didn't just learn it through exposure and through just like trying to talk to my parents and stuff. I also had classes at school, you know. I did actually learn... I did actually have some conscious learning. I had to learn to read and to write. I learned to spell. I learned some kind of uh, English grammar in my English language classes at at school and stuff. So, you know, there is some conscious attention involved in uh, learning your first language too. Like I have had to consciously focus on writing and improve my writing in English. And, you know, it's a constant thing. I do actually have to consciously attend to my uh, language learning of of my first language. And similarly... There are lots of people who say that learning a second language should be less conscious. It should be more about just interacting with, uh, with the language and letting language learning happen as a, as a natural consequence. So, oh, I don't know. It's all a bit mixed up, isn't it? Maybe it's the yin and yang. I don't know. Um, how does your first language influence how you learn a second language? How does your first language influence how you learn a second language? Well, I, I mean, I can certainly talk about how your first language affects the way that you use the second language. And it's massive. It's absolutely huge. So the reason for like 90% of the errors that we make when we are speaking or using our second language, the, the reason for those errors is most of the time due to influence from the first language. So it's our first, the the, the grammar part of our brain is telling us to use kind of the same grammar or structures, or at least the way that we think and the way we structure language, the way we produce language, is very much dictated by those patterns and structures from language one. And a lot of the time when learning a language, it's about sort of trying to break down those um, natural structures that come from L1 and to create new structures and learn the new structures and rhythms of the second language. So L1, language one, definitely influences language two. How does it influence the way you learn a second language? I'm not sure, really. I'm not sure what I could say about that. The way it influences the way you learn it. Uh, Maybe cultural stuff, but that's not language. But, you know, maybe cultural things like generally the culture of what it means to learn a language in your country and you know so france france for example it's 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 older generations in france for them learning a language was about studying it on paper you know and doing that kind of conscious old-fashioned studying maybe grammar translations certainly starting with grammar rules learning them and, you know, that kind of structured approach. So that's really more the, the culture of language learning that exists in, in in your native culture. That can affect the way you learn a second language. And certainly your use of your first language um, has a huge impact on the way you use your second language. For example, and I've, I've mentioned this example before, French people um, will make lots of very common errors... Um, just like every every person learning a second language. You, you, they, but the errors can be traced back to French. So they will say, instead of, I agree, they'll say, I am agree, or, or I I am not agree, when it should be, I agree, and I, I don't agree, or I disagree. And that's because in French, it's, je suis d'accord, which is, I am agree, you know. And um, other, you know, A whole host of other ones. And of course, pronunciation is a massive thing, you know. Like, again, using French as an example. uh, In France, they don't really have a th sound or th th sound. The th sound. And so, um, when there is a th sound in English, they will go f or s or z or sh. You know, they'll use a different sound. And those errors are caused by the fact that, that, that those th sounds are not in French. Similarly, Japanese people... R and L sounds, that R and L are actually one sound. And so R and L uh, can be a problem. And that leads to people writing uh, an L when it should be an R and the other way around and so on. So, you know, obviously the first language has a huge impact on the second language. And the ne- and the, the final question the in the introduction to this episode, uh, what are the most, I mean, in the introduction to this article, because we're the introduction to the episode is long gone now. But um, this final question, what are the most effective language learning strategies in becoming a successful language learner? Okay, that's a huge question. And that's going to be explored directly in the article. So we'll, we'll just kind of crack on with the article here and see what it says. So let's call an everyday language learner, an adult learner, Who is seeking to achieve long-term success in a language that they began learning in high school or later? So, what we're doing now is defining our our baseline benchmark for what a a normal everyday language learner is, and it's I think it's a good description, a good definition. I think this probably um, fits. Most of us, right, trying to learn another language. Certainly, most of you listening to this, you are trying to learn English, and I would categorise you probably as everyday language learners. Not that there's anything ordinary about you. Of course, you're all completely unique and um, special in, 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 <laughs> because you listen to this podcast. But let's say that this fits your description. Everyday language learner, an adult learner probably seeking to achieve long-term success in a language that they began learning in high school or later. You probably started learning English at school um, or maybe later, maybe, uh, maybe in adulthood. And let's call success, the ability to use the language for effective communication in a wide range of situations and settings and in order to achieve a range of goals that you are already comfortable accomplishing in your first language or first languages. So, the ability to use language for effective communication in a wide range of situations and settings in order to achieve a wide range of goals. In other words, think of being able to use the language as a vehicle for communication in these different things. So, a vehicle for communication with different people. So, you should be able to use English effectively with different people. So with family members, with friends, with teachers, with doctors, with bosses, with colleagues, with employees, with bartenders, with grocery store clerks, waiters, and so on. So I talked about this before, didn't I? When did I talk about this? I haven't actually talked about this yet. I've got an episode in the pipeline about different styles of English. And the way that we adapt our English depending on the situation. So yeah, you need to be able to adapt your English depending on the person you're talking to. So that means like, you know, formal and informal language and levels of politeness and diplomacy and directness and indirectness and stuff. So all those pragmatic things. You should be able to um, use English to communicate through different genres. And this relates to the episode that I'm working on, which is going to be about how English changes depending on the situation. That's, uh, that's coming soon. So through different genres. So spoken discourse, meaning how to construct spoken English, professional emails, medium posts. Like if you're writing, you know, should, could you write an article for a website like Medium? using English on the phone, using English on social media, all these different situations. You should be able to do all of them. Um, You should be able to use English in different places. So at home, at school, at work, in hospitals, at conferences, uh, in recreational settings. Again, just another way of considering the way that you should be able to adapt your English for these different um, places, people and situations and for different actions. Uh, You should be able to use your second language for persuading, for narrating, for reporting, instructing, joking, warning, praising, blaming, asking, requesting, agreeing, disagreeing, complaining, flirting, gossiping, right? So, all of these questions, though, are just a few of those being posed by second language acquisition researchers in a number of ways over the past four decades the field has been in existence. Questions which have led down all sorts of paths in their efforts to peel off the layers of the language learning onion. And it has been a difficult onion to peel, to say the least. So, basically... um, Second language acquisition researchers, these are academics researching the whole question of how a second language is learned. These people have been, for, for for decades now, have been searching for answers to the questions that I've just been talking about and the things that have just been mentioned at the beginning of this article. It's a difficult onion to peel, to peel an onion. You peel off the layers to get to the core to get to the, um, you know, the actual core truth in the middle of it, okay? So, the bigger picture. Uh, But for a language learner who wants to know what the research says about the best way to learn another language, how can you begin extracting practical insights from jargon-packed research articles, or should you even bother? So, basically, right, there's lots of academics writing academic research papers into all different aspects of second language learning but for a normal person normal human like you the layman right the lay person who um just wants to learn the best way to 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 acquire another language um how can you get these insights from all these articles these academic papers how can you actually just get the basic uh, advice okay um So the article continues. A lot of the research in SLA, second language acquisition, is very focused, whether it be on how specific languages are acquired by learners from certain linguistic and cultural backgrounds, investigating the development of language competence from more cognitive or social theoretical perspectives or critically examining the ever-expanding language learning market that seeks to profit on the desire among pretty much everyone on the planet to improve their proficiency in another language. Hold on a minute. Uh, Gavin Lamb, wait a minute, what happened to that sentence? I feel like there's a whole other clause that's missing here. Whether it be on how specific languages are acquired, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba... Or this, yeah. There's a, Gavin, there's a there's a clause missing in your sentence because it needs to be whether it be on la 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 la, la or la, la la la. It's certainly difficult to find the conclusions. Whether it be on how specific languages are acquired by learners from spe- certain linguistic and cultural backgrounds, investigating the development of language competence from more cognitive or social theoretical perspectives or critically examining the ever-expanding language learning market that seeks to profit on the desire among pretty much everyone on the planet to improve their proficiency in another language, whether it be this, this or this, we need another clause. It seems to be difficult for everyone. That's probably what it should be. Anyway, but rather than spending too much time on all of that... Ah, no, sorry, Gavin, sorry the whether it be is actually connected to the previous clause. So a lot of the research in SLA is very focused, whether it be on how, uh, whether it be on this, this or this. So it's a punctuation issue in the article. So if I was to edit the article, I would say that actually this is all one sentence. There shouldn't be a full stop after SLA is very focused. Anyway, I'm getting distracted here. Right. So anyway, but rather than spending too much time on all of that, says Gavin, I'd like to zoom out a bit and get a bigger picture of second language acquisition and hopefully offer up a few insights from the SLA research for the average everyday language learner. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you very much. So he's going to give us a sort of overview. This is because I feel the research on language learning has not only helped me to get a better grip on what the process of language learning involves but has also helped me see how I can begin relating the numerous theories, findings and insights in SLA to my own language learning practice. So all the research has helped him to get a better grip, to get control on what the process of language learning involves. It's also helped him to see how he can begin relating the theories and insights to his own learning practice. So he's done it, so he's gonna help us do it too. Wading through the swamp of SLA research. Wading. Wading is when you're walking through deep water or walking through like mud or something. So, in this case, wading through the swamp of SLA research. Lots of SLA research everywhere. It's difficult to get through it. Wading through the swamp of SLA research can be a bewildering experience. Ah, where am I? What's going on? I'm confused. And at first, concrete strategies for language learning seem to be in small supply. So it's all a bit sort of vague and swampy. And we need concrete strategies. Tell me exactly what to do. These concrete strategies seem to be in small supply. There aren't many of them. This is because much of the research is concerned with the complex social and cognitive processes involved in language learning and not so much with prescribing practical strategies for learners. So why is it difficult to kind of use academic research to help us learn? It's because a lot of the time the research is all about what is going on when people learn languages. It's about the processes, the social processes right? The the ways in which people interact and the cognitive processes, what's going on in our brains involved in language learning. That seems to be what the, f- the research focuses on. It's all about the way it works, what's going on in, in the process of language learning. And it's the research is not so interested with prescribing strategies. Prescribing is basically telling people exactly what to do. Um, so it's not... Intre- Often the research is not about prescribing specific strategies or telling learners exactly how to learn. And then he goes on, although there is a growing body of research on language learning pedagogy aimed at providing useful insights for teachers and learners. So apparently there is more and more uh, research which is aimed at being more practical. Andrew Cohen, who researches strategies for learning and using a second language, defines a language learning strategy as this. So what is a language learning strategy? It's this, thoughts and actions consciously chosen and operationalized by language learners to assist them in carrying out a multiplicity of tasks from the very onset of learning to the most advanced levels of target language performance. So the, <laughs> this, is the, this is kind of typical academic language, which is quite difficult to penetrate. So what is a language learning strategy? I think you know, but anyway, here's the academic definition. Thoughts, so things you think, and actions, things you do, consciously chosen, so things you've actually decided to do and think, and operationalized, meaning I suppose actually done by language learners, to assist them in carrying out a multiplicity of tasks. So things you choose to think and choose to do in order to help you perform various tasks from the beginning of your learning to the very advanced levels of um, language performance. So basically the things you choose to think and do in order to help you. And the article says, these include language learning strategies like strategies for ensuring the learning, practicing and use of a new language in an already busy life. So, the things you choose to do when your life is very busy, how you can squeeze language learning into your busy life. Strategies for monitoring one's everyday language learning and use. So, how do you actually keep a sense of whether you're making progress or not? And strategies for remembering vocabulary deemed relevant and valuable. So, basically, how do you remember all the stuff you're learning? Uh, But in this post, I've tried to pull some of the biggest clumps of insight from a range of different research approaches in this field. These insights have helped me to see the language learning process from diverse vantage points. So it's given him perspective. He can look at language learning from all these different perspectives and perhaps most importantly, begin making connections to my daily practice as a language learner. So it's helped him think about the way he's learning a language too. So, A trifecta, a sort of three-point list, a three-point approach for effective language learning. These three approaches to language learning are somewhat obvious but have been described in various ways by researchers coming from all sorts of different perspectives in SLA. So Gavin has boiled it down to three main points. Okay, now if I was a different kind of... um, uh, English language podcaster, I'd be selling this as like the three secrets of language learning. Right? I don't know why people always refer to these things as secrets, because they're really not a secret. In fact, there's like, you know, many, many, many researchers publishing articles all about it. People are constantly talking about these things in pu- in the public forum, making videos about them training people how to tell them you know there's whole industries and academic institutions uh devoted to understanding how we learn language and then trying to share that knowledge and sell that knowledge as much as possible none of these things are secrets anyway here are those three points that have been distilled by um Gavin here in his article number 1 learn the language in context number 2 learn the language by using it for specific purposes. Number three, learn the language through face-to-face interaction and online works too. All right, let's see what Gavin means. So, number one, learn the language in context. What do I mean by learning a language in context? I think SLA researcher Bonnie Norton puts this well when she writes this second language learners need to struggle to appropriate the voices of others. They need to learn to command the attention of their listeners. They need to negotiate language as a system and as a social practice, and they need to understand the practices of the communities with which they interact. Hmm, What does that mean? Personally, I think that it's the, it's the last part of this paragraph, this quote, from a researcher called Bonnie Norton. It's the last part of that that is, that is most relevant, that, that you need to negotiate language as a system and as a social practice. And you have to understand the practices of communities with which you interact. But it's that middle bit, really. You need to, you need to see language as a system and as a social practice. Language is a social practice. So it means that language is a thing that we do when we socialize with people. Okay, that is what it's a social system. It is not some sort of abstract um, set of information that we have to learn. It's not, for example, you know, the periodic table, uh, remembering all of the elements in the periodic table and all that stuff. No, language is a thing that we can do. English is something you do. It's not just something you know, right? English is not just something you know, it's something you can do. And you should always focus on being able to do English, not just know or learn English. But according to Bonnie Norton, to learn a language properly, you've got to understand that it is a social system and it's a, a, a thing that we do rather than a thing that we learn. So Gavin says, um, this is all to say, language should be seen as embedded in social and cultural practices and finding language learning resources that give you access to these different interpersonal linguistic and community contexts when learning the language is a good way to go. So I would put it in two ways that language learning should be done in context. One, you should probably absorb language in context when you are discovering it. So rather than just learning words or grammar in an abstract way, like instead of going, so today I'm going to learn the present perfect tense and you learn a grammatical form and how it works and how it's applied. I mean, that, you know, that can be a way to do it, but that is out of context, okay and instead of just learning a list of words you learn those words in a context that means that those the grammar system the vocabulary uh items are part of a a greater system of meaning you know um and that you focus on that meaning first you focus on that linguistic context And it's within that context that you can learn really what language means and how it works. So you should learn language in context. So you read articles and you pick out language from it and you can see how the language works within that article when you realise the article has a certain function and, you know, all that sort of thing. So language should be seen as embedded in social and cultural practices. Okay. So for example, learning emailing, we learn about the pragmatics of emailing, the way that the relationship that you have with the person you're writing to affects the way that your English is constructed. Okay. So it's rather than just, um, here's the language of emails. It's more like, here's language, which will have certain effects. And here's the language you should do in response to an email like this, you know, uh, and then um, finding language learning resources that give you access to these different interpersonal linguistic and community community contexts when learning the language is a good way to go. So you should try to learn English from resources that present English in this way. So hopefully my podcast does that, you know, because I present you with conversations with people and you can see actual, you know, English being used in an interactive way. Uh, often it's conversations with my friends and you can see how English is used to be humorous and to kind of build relationships and stuff. Um, Number two, learn the language by using it for specific purposes. So learning by doing. Learning by doing seems to be one of the keys to learning another language as it allows people to gain both knowledge of various aspects of the language as well as to gain experience using the language. So kind of like task-based Learning. So, you don't just learn English as an isolated set of grammar rules and vocab and pronunciation rules and phonemes, but you learn to use language to achieve certain things. Okay, you use it for specific purposes. Gavin says, uh, now, this is John Norris quoted by Gavin in his article. Uh, He's another SLA researcher. Um, To achieve the benefits of task-based practice, SLA researcher John Norris writes, we must first accept that language develops not as accretion of discrete bits of knowledge, but through a series of holistic experiences. So we learn languages, we learn language uh, through having overall experiences with it. um, And we don't develop it by kind of gaining, okay, now I learn present simple. Now I learn present perfect. Now I learn this first conditional. Now I learn the second conditional. Instead, we learn language and learn forms by sort of, now I talk about my abilities and things I can do. Now I talk about my habits. I can talk about the things I do every day. And now I can use language to make polite requests. And now I can use language to make indirect requests, to be polite. You know, we see Uh, language develops through a series of overall global experiences rather than just taking little bits of uh, language bit by bit. Mm -hmm. Gavin says, through using the language from the very first day and for purposes that allow you to experience the language in meaningful ways, by doing specific tasks with the language, you can build your language competency up holistically as one holistic experience at a time, rather than just one v- noun or verb at a time. This sort of thing is reflected in some language learning course books which focus on, um, rather than focus on grammar forms, like I've learnt uh, how to conjugate um, uh, third conditionals, instead, the book's encourage learners to reflect on their learning by sort of saying, you know, here's a checklist of things that at the end of this unit uh, you should be able to do. So can you consider these things? Can you reflect on the past? Can you express regret about the past? Can you speculate about the past? Or can you talk about, you know, your plans for the future? So those are holistic experiences. You know, are you able to negotiate, um, uh are you able to uh, discuss price in a business negotiation rather than can you construct um uh can you construct first and conditional sentences you know mhm and thirdly learn the language in face to face interaction um so this basically means learning the language by using it with other humans okay Uh, Lastly, learning language in interaction with other real-life human beings is an obvious point for anyone who has had the experience of studying a language on their own prior to a trip, only to be met later with disappointment when they struggle to start up a simple conversation with a native speaker. So the point here is that like a lot of English people will say like they're going to France on holiday, so they think, oh, brush up on my French. They get a French, you know, teach yourself French book. And they start going through sort of exercises in there, or even just a phrase book of like, um, you know, excuse me, can you show me the way to the bank, please? You know, those sorts of um, basics. But then when it comes to actual interaction with a human, it all goes wrong. So according to Gavin, we need to actually learn the language in face-to-face interaction. Um, mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's not to say that you can't practice your speaking on your own, which you can do. I would say that it's just important to try to um, use uh, authentic material when you're practicing English. So that means shadowing uh, real conversations, but also trying to simulate real conversations, too, so that you, in a sense, have conversations with yourself or you pretend or imagine, use your creativity, think outside the box, and try to create in your mind realistic scenarios in which you have to actually use language, you know, in response to a question that you weren't expecting or something like that. You know, you've got to try and um, recreate um, situations and practice English in those situations um, in order to make sure that you're able to use language on the go, right? Uh, rather than just doing it on paper. Uh I hope I'm being clear. Um Now, while the process, this is Gavin again, while the process of language learning should involve all kinds of receptive interactions with literature, movies, podcasts, social media, and more, so he's saying, although uh, it's important to uh, absorb, to listen and read a lot... He continues, the original home of language learning is in face-to-face conversation. Yeah, of course, we know this, don't we? That um, it's important not to forget the the value of um, actually engaging in conversation with, um, with people in order to practice. And so, you know... That's, that often involves spending money, doesn't it? You know, you might have to go to italki or some other similar service or just find a, a person to practice with and, um, you know, shell out some money and have some one-to-one lessons or conversation practice time. Um, you can still go to teacherlukecouk slash talk to get um, a discount with italki, by the way, um, if you want to use them. So, I mean, that's a fairly obvious point, uh, but you've got to practice English by actually talking to a human being. You can replicate, you can kind of simulate those, those situations. You can do lots of types of speaking practice on your own, but ultimately it's really important to actually uh, have face-to-face c- conversations. Uh, Gavin continues, having to negotiate meaning with other speakers on the fly, sort of spontaneously, seems to be one of the key ways to develop our language ability. And with a range of new online language learning resources now available for motivated language learners to take part in second language interaction, this is getting much easier to do. So he's probably referring to the fact that companies like italki have now made it easier for you to actually find opportunities to talk to other human beings in English. Um, Yeah. So, the article continues. Develop a daily practice. I would say develop daily practice. Hone your language learning intuition. Through systematic research, we can provide fantastic descriptions and theories of the various facets of the language learning process. Basically, research means that we can now describe the different ways that language learning happens, the different sides or faces of language learning. But things get a, little, a bit less crisp when we begin making general prescriptions for how best to go about learning another language. So we know how to describe the way that language learning happens, but when it comes to actually telling people how to do it, it seems that we are, it, it, things get less clear. The science, if we can call it a science, of second language acquisition can tell us a lot about both the universal aspects of language learning, as well as the individual idiosyncrasies that make each of our language learning journeys unique. So it can tell us about how we learn language. The key for the language learner, however, is to become a researcher of yourself in a way. Bridging your knowledge of both the language and the language learning process along with your own experiences in developing a unique path towards your language learning goals. So this is kind of what I said earlier. So there's all this research that tells us how a lot of people learn languages, but when it comes to actually the practicalities of how you should do it, you've got to take the research and the conclusions of it, but also your own experiences and the things that work for you and finding a way to bridge those two things together. Um, towards your own language learning goals and working out what works for you. So this might be a good point to ask what your goals are exactly. What are your goals in learning English? What exactly is it that you want to achieve? Which is, it's always a good idea to to have specific goals, achievable ones. Um, And Gavin has listed some possible goals. Um, Have people... So maybe your goal is to have people think that your second language pronunciation is native or nearly native. I mean, that's a controversial one. People talk about that all the time. Why is that controversial, Luke? Why would it be controversial for for a language learner to expect or want to achieve native level pronunciation? There's nothing wrong with it at all. It's a perfectly good goal to have. The, the, the only issue is that it's incredibly difficult. Um it seems that some people are, are more able to do it than others. I mean we take the example of Paul Taylor for example. Uh I said example twice. <gasps> um we take the example of Paul Taylor for instance. And uh Paul is has this weird knack for getting the pronunciation just right. Maybe he's cheated, maybe he learned French when he was a kid, maybe he learned Spanish when he was a kid. I would I wouldn't be surprised though that if he learnt Brazilian Portuguese he would sound like he was from Sao Paulo or if he if he learnt Croatian he would sound like he was, you know, like from Croatia. He wouldn't have a really strong English accent in his other languages I would predict. Anyway, so the point why is it controversial to to want to sound like a native? Well, it's it's very difficult and some for some people, you know, you might never get there. You might never achieve that. Okay. And it's and, and anyway, maybe it's not necessary. Maybe you don't really need to sound like a native because, you know, non-native English is also a valid form of English. And if people can understand you, this is the most important thing. There's nothing wrong with having a bit of an accent. So that's that. Uh, but also it might be damaging to your confidence if you have this very high aim, which is to sound exactly like a native speaker. Uh, and if that's unachievable, which I'm sure it is for some people for all sorts of reasons, then you have to think maybe, you know, to redefine that aim and not be too uh, hurt or upset or, or um, disillusioned if you don't reach that high aim. It's good to have high expectations for yourself, but also it's important to be realistic and not to feel bad if you don't achieve those aims. If you're setting goals for yourself, you should set realistic, achievable ones rather than ones which are maybe going to just end up in a sense of failure. Um, Maybe your goal is to get the second language pragmatics right in numerous speaking situations, meaning learning how to adapt your English for different situations. I would argue that that's a more important goal you know, um, maybe you want to have only negligible grammar errors in your oral language. Maybe you want to get your spoken English up to a level where you're not making any mistakes. A very good aim to have. But again, you know, we have to take a balanced approach and don't feel too Put off by the prospect of making errors, some people are so scared to make errors that they just don't say anything at all, which obviously is not not the right approach you've got to uh, be willing to make mistakes and stuff, but you know aiming for aiming for virtually no grammar errors in your oral language is of course a very respectable and decent aim to have um you've just got to be willing to to you know do both you've got to make the mistakes. You've got to get all the mistakes out before you can then expect to just, like, get it perfect every time. Um, Another aim might be to have your second language vocabulary trip off your tongue relatively effortlessly. So the ability to be fluent and to recall and use uh, vocab, to have a high level of active vocabulary and to have the fluency to use it all. Another very important aim. I would say that's up there as being one of the most important ones, to being able to, 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 to be fluent and to get the right words out at the right moment, at the right speed and at the right time. Uh, maybe you want to take an active part in a meeting conducted entirely through the L2. This is a good and specific aim. A lot of people out there uh, I know a lot of you out there have to use English in meetings at work, and it's a source of great anxiety for you because if you can't take part, if you don't understand what people are saying and you can't express yourself, then it's a horrible feeling. And also you get the impression the boss is looking at you as well. So focusing on being able to take part in a meeting would be a good idea because that gives you specific, uh, a specific situation and specific types of language, a specific style of language. To focus on, so that could be good. You know, you practice various ways of getting your English ready for meetings, speaking skills, listening skills, vocabulary specific to the to the to the work area that you're in. Um, and maybe a, an aim could be to read and critique work in your field of interest in the second language. So this would be maybe learning to to be academic. I mean, obviously, you know, like. As an English teacher, when I get new students at school or if I'm starting a new course or something, I will interview the students first and work out what their needs are. If it's a business English course, it's important to know what aspect of what area of business they work in and what types of uh, communication situations they're going to be in, whether it's negotiations or presentations or whatever. Um, so you, you've got to learn the English that you use for those situations in you know, narrowing down, narrowing it down to that specific kind of English is a good idea. In this case, it could be learning to use English for academic purposes, right? Like reading and critiquing work. Or you want to express yourself in written language at a professional level in the second language. Again, a really good aim because a lot of you will need to write reports, write emails and, and things like that. The journey of learning another language is just as much a journey in learning to develop a daily practice, just as with writing, meditation and exercise. By this, I mean that learning another language is about fostering the energy, motivation and consistency that any kind of skill learning requires of someone. So again, going back to that point I made at the beginning, it's about finding a method that works for you and then actually doing it and finding the ability to turn it into a regular habit. The five T's, time, 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 time. The five P's, practice, 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 practice. The five H's, habit, 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 habit. Um, The five R's, rabbit, 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 rabbit. Why have we got five rabbits? I don't know. It just felt right at the time. Uh, But the point is finding a habit, doing something in English regularly every single day, uh, listening to this podcast, but also finding other ways to practice on a regular basis. You know, again, we go back to these conclusions that I've made before. Uh, Gavin continues with his article. Perhaps most importantly, this is why whatever path you choose towards learning a new language, the most effective one will be the one that most resonates with you. And as a consequence, will be the one that you stick with for the long haul. So, the, going back to my first point again, the best way to learn a language, the best method is the one that works with you, the one that resonates with you. If something resonates, it makes a deep, long-lasting sound. Like, for example, those bells, those meditation bells, boom, right? It's got a deep, rev- resonating sound. So, if an idea or method resonates with you, it leaves a long-lasting, deep sort of uh, vibration in you, something that touches you, that you feel that lasts a long time, that really kind of uh, speaks to you and really vibrates you personally. So the most effective language learning method is the one that that you really uh, connect with. And as a consequence, that is the one that you will stick with. That's the one that you'll continue doing for the long haul, like long term, over a long term difficult process. So find the one that works for you and do that. Whatever you... The language learning method that works is the one that you actually do. A lot of, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of the problem, a lot of the reason why people don't improve in a language is because they don't actually do any kind of practice. Like me, for example. I spend my time speaking English all the time and, um, you know, I don't actually spend time in French as much as I should do, and as a result, you know, the, the progress isn't being made as quickly as it could be. It's not rocket science, is it, really, when you think about it? Who knew? Spending time and practice on a language every day is what works. It's you know, like playing, playing an instrument, playing the guitar. You know, you just find a way to enjoy doing it. If you enjoy playing the guitar for four hours a day, you're going to make a lot of progress. Um, it's obvious, really. Uh, intuitions are formed at the crossroads of knowledge and experience, says H.D. Brown, a researcher of second language acquisition. Intuitions. Intuitions are things that you feel you don't necessarily know. They're just like something you feel. Like, that's the, that's the sweet spot, isn't it, in, in, in English, let's say. It's like, how do you know that it's, it depends on, not it depends of? Right now, you could learn it, but often it's just that you feel it. You just what naturally feels right is it depends on the situation, not its depend of the situation. That its depend of the situation is wrong and it should not feel right. There's something should feel wrong when you hear that, and that's intuition. So, there's that on one hand, intuition is important because you need to have a sort of intuitive sense of right and wrong in English. And a lot of the time that comes from exposure and practice. But anyway, intuitions are formed at the crossroads of knowledge and experience. Knowledge, the stuff you know, experience the things that you've seen and heard over the years. Um, By learning... By learning about the language learning process, paying attention to our own experience as language learners, and by constantly taking risks on our language learning journey that might reveal insights into our own language learning practice, we can begin developing our intuition about how best to begin and persist on one of the most awesome, enriching and rewarding journeys there is, if I might say so myself. Gavin is very positive about the experience of learning a language. He's saying that we need to learn a sense of intuition, a sense of a general feeling of what feels right and wrong for you in your language learning. The only way to do that is to experiment and try all the different ways and to get out of your comfort zone. The more you are out of your comfort zone, the more uh, ground you will cover, the more possible ways of learning a language you will experiment with, and the more you'll develop that sense of what feels right for you. The process of language learning is complex, as complex as the individual quirks of people who embark upon the journey of learning a new language. I've got such an itchy nose. Apparently talking for more than an hour makes my nose itch. Wow. So, language learning is complex. It's as complex as the individual quirks, like little character traits of people. So, basically, learning a language is as complex as the people who learn language, right? Um And it's also as complex as the multitude, the the many, uh multitude of languages and language learning situations that people find themselves in the world. Basically, it's complicated. Um Each... Language lesson is in some ways a unique drama, one researcher writes. And understanding these unique dramas that populate our lives as language learners is what I think makes both researching SLA and learning another language so fascinating and inevitably a challenging but rewarding process of self-discovery. Each language lesson is is a unique drama, meaning every moment that you feel you make progress in learning a language is like a little, it's probably come about from some moment of drama. I mean, that could mean just like a misunderstanding that you learn from, or just an experience that you have that leads you to learning something and and remembering it. It's a process of self-discovery. Steve Kaufman said it was a process, it was a, a journey of discovery, didn't he? A voyage of discovery. It's not just a technical feat, um, a difficult thing to do, but an expansion of perspective. Learning another language isn't just about the acquisition of a new skill language learners know from their experience that it is also about an expansion of perspective of the world they live in. This point is echoed by Bialystok and Hakuta's 1994 book on second language acquisition. Learning a second language is not simply a technical feat, it is, it is an expansion of perspective. We live in a world community that speaks more than 7,000 distinct languages. We cannot hope to understand ourselves and our own place in this world without understanding the enormous impact of linguistic and cultural diversity on the human social condition. Recognizing the implications of learning a second language and understanding something of the process of its <laughs> recognizing the implications of learning a second language and understanding something of the process of its acquisition propel us towards this goal recognizing the implications of learning a second language, meaning what it really means, and understanding of something of the process of his acquisition. So basically he's saying that the more we learn how language learning happens, the more perspective we can get on it, and that's ultimately good for achieving your goals. So um, Gavin says, just remember that when cultivating your daily language learning practice. The important thing is to maintain a consistent sensitivity to your own unique insights and intuitions about your language learning journey as you build it up one experience at a time. And of course, listen to Luke's English podcast. He didn't actually put that at the end. Uh, Gavin didn't actually write that at the end. I added that in. So basically, again, the point I made at the beginning, um, when you're developing your own daily practice for learning English, it's important to be sensitive to what you learn yourself, sensitive to what works for you in order to build the right kinds of habits and um, build your learning one experience at a time. And of course, listen to Luke's English podcast. Best of luck, um, and there are some notes here as well from Gavin saying this was the first one of the first posts he wrote after he'd done his PhD in 2014, bloody blah, 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 blah. So there you go. Thank you to Gavin Lamb for writing that. That was my take on his, um, his article there. Um. Okay, so there you go, listeners. I hope that this has been interesting and not just confusing. It's quite hard to get a grip on this whole language learning thing, but um, it goes back to those old conclusions that it's a question of spending time with the language, finding ways to make it work for you, experimenting with all sorts of different approaches and practices. and so on. You could you could refer back to one of my older episodes. It's called How to Learn English. I can't remember uh, the number. If I go into my episode archive, I'll find it. How to learn How to learn English, episode six six nine. And in that one, I try to give you as much possible. Uh, I, in that one, I try to give you as much advice as possible about learning English across the four skills. So lots of specific. Um, Ideas for what you can do to improve your speaking, your listening, your reading, and your writing. Okay, episode 669. If you like more of this kind of thing, Uh, but otherwise, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm very curious to get your insights too. Do you have any comments? Do you have any points to make about? Uh, the best way to learn a language. How do we learn languages? What has worked for you? Sometimes that's the best way to, to to talk about this is to get very specific and personal and just talk about your own personal experiences. So let's think about this. Let's try and pinpoint this thing, which is um, experimenting with different methods of practicing and finding the ones that work for you. So tell us about the different things that you've tried and tell us the ones that work for you and why they work for you, okay? I hope people do comment on this. Obviously, I've I've asked you to do that right now at the end of this episode where um, only, only the hardcore have got through to this part. But anyway, I'm curious to know what you have to say. Thank you for listening to my show. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Um, don't forget to Uh, Like and subscribe, leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's a great way of promoting the show. Tell your friends to listen to Luke's English podcast, Uh, share the episode on social media, and also if you want to get my regular uh, lessons in which I teach you grammar, vocab, and pronunciation. When I say teach you grammar, vocab, and pronunciation, I'm there to basically sort of help you and I give you. Resources and opportunities to do different types of practice. We've talked about these different things. There's memory tests, there's stories. I use lots of stories in my premium content. And also there's a pronunciation practice where I give you the opportunity to repeat after me. I give you, I take stories, I break them down into pronunciation pieces, read out those pronunciation sections. You repeat each line after me. And, you know, I try to cover all the different bases. So if you want to get my premium episodes too, uh, you can just add them to your podcast subscription in your podcast app on your phone. Just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info to get all the information you need about Luke's English Podcast Premium, which is my paid service. And if you sign up, you will become a stakeholder in Luke's English Podcast. You will be uh, a true stakeholder someone who is investing in the show and investing all, in all the whole th- in the whole thing and the premium subscription allows me to keep doing this on my own terms it means i don't have a boss okay all right good thank you for listening i will speak to you in the next one but now it's just time for me to say goodbye bye 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 <laughs> Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,